0: Before we get started, I want to take the opportunity to talk about our partner for this podcast, BravoPay. BravoPay is a marketplace and payment platform for musicians and content creators like streamers, sports influencers, personal trainers, and, well, podcasters. You can create a fan page on their app and set up shop offering physical and digital products as well as premium subscriptions. It's easy to share your Bravo link with others on your social media so that the rest of you, can support your favorite creators. Check it out at app.trybravo.com. I'll also leave a link in the description.
1: You're listening to The 80-20 Show, an inside look into the music industry.
0: Welcome everyone to The 80-20 Show. I am your host, Mike Zimmerlick and my next guest is Matthew Kroll creator of the Imagineer podcast. Now, you might be asking yourself, why am I interviewing a podcaster that talks about Disney? Well, Matt has grown his podcast to, at the time of this recording, over 100,000 followers on Instagram and approaching a million downloaded episodes. Plus, it helps that Matt is also my cousin. In this interview, we discuss how to cater and grow your audience, how to develop your social media presence, and how to build a community. Honestly, if you're looking on how to gain attention and grow your following, Matt has a lot of incredible knowledge to share. Also, bonus for all you Disney fans out there. It is my honor and pleasure to give you Matthew Krull. Well, hello, Matthew. How are you doing today?
1: I'm doing good, Michael. How are you?
0: I'm doing fantastic Thanks. Thank you so much for being on the podcast. I appreciate it.
1: Anytime. I appreciate you inviting me onto the show. I've been hoping to be a guest at some point of the eighty twenty show. I feel like you've been a guest three, four, five times on my podcast now. So I'm like, when is Mike going to invite me to be on his podcast? It's about time. (laughs) It's true. Now, the funny part, though, is that, uh, fun fact, that is somewhat of a lie. I know. (laughs)
0: Because you actually were one of my first guests. And the reason why for everyone listening, you have not heard Matt be on my podcast is because I interviewed Matt before the 8020 show even existed. He was actually one of my test pilots. And in fact, I did look up to Matt in beginning when I decided to go into podcasting of how he has formatted the Imagineer podcast and what he's done there. So if you see, if you hear both uh, the 8020 show as well as the Imagineer podcast you may see a couple of uh, notice a couple of things that are very similar to both podcasts as far as the formats concerned and even the way that I speak I templated that off of Matthew so thank you so much
1: well, that's that's very kind. I know that we have a couple of common inspirations for podcasting as well. I think Tim Ferriss is one of them uh, yes. that you and I have spoken about, and uh, I think actually it's probably the main example of someone we we aspire to be like in terms of podcasting and quality of of the show is is the is Tim Ferriss and his show. So the Tim Ferriss like, show.
0: I like to say that we have the timbre of Tim Ferriss, but maybe the uh, the ambition of Gary v. I think that's <laughs> it. I think that's a good combination. <laughs> that's
1: the a, that is a good combination.
0: I'll take that. <laughs> okay, so speaking of podcasting, I do want to talk to you about how you got into podcasting.
1: I'd be happy to share. So I have been listening to podcasts since pretty much when podcasts existed. I might not have been the... the initial you know when they really first launched that first month or two it probably was not to podcasting but i would say that by at least a year or two into podcasting i was on apple podcasts uh, or back then itunes looking up podcasts and i happened to come across uh you know there i think there were a couple of of, and i honestly don't remember what shows i might have listened to this was over a decade ago and if i did listen to anything back then to kind of test it out i i didn't complete listening to those and I honestly couldn't tell you what those initial shows were. But being a huge Disney fan, I happened to search for Disney to see if someone was podcasting about Disney and there were quite a few. So I subscribed to a couple of them and one of them in particular, one I listened to for maybe five years and eventually got tired of it. The other one not only did I listen to it beyond those five years, but I still continue to listen to it to this day, about fifteen years later. And it's one of my inspirations for the podcast. Um, about a few years ago, at this point, I guess I started the show, uh, you know, f- over four years ago now. So about five years ago, I started thinking to myself that perhaps I could attempt to do a podcast as well. I, having listened to podcasts for so long, was. Aware of what I might want to do in terms of a style and what types of content I might want to publish for episodes. And I knew what my passion was, which was talking about Disney. And, uh, you know, we could, of course, dive really deep into that subject. But I knew that I could offer something a little bit unique in the sense that having worked for Disney before, not that i would provide insider information that was never my goal and if you if you listen to the podcast you'll hear that everything i share is something you could publicly find whether you talk to someone who worked at disney or if you read a book about disney or if you just go to the parks but the advantage i saw from my st- from for being a cast member is that i could apply the same style of professionalism and communication to the podcast and make it sound kind of like Uh, a disney is you know disney inspired podcast with a real cast member spin that I for positivity for um creating uh you know bringing joy into the world and and spreading optimism and disney's goal is to create happiness and i thought if i could create some happiness and perhaps it's evolved since then to spreading optimism through the podcast that that might be the the catalyst or the This sort of hidden agenda of the podcast. We talk about Disney, which is a fun subject and one I'm passionate and knowledgeable about. But at the end of the day, my goal is to make people feel more optimistic when they finish the podcast episode and to maybe feel a little bit brighter if they're having a bad day or if they're just looking to make their day even better. So I decided that I would just start and try. I always had this creative Um, outlet or I always need a creative outlet outside of my day job and so I thought I would just put it out there and honestly I even said if nobody ever listens to this or if I make just two new friends who listen to this podcast two new Disney friends and that's it and it's just something that I continue to enjoy that that'll be worth it and I've continued to maintain that mindset of as long as this is enjoyable to me and something I feel is fun and brings joy to my day and anyone to who to to anyone who does listen to the show, that that would be enough. And um, I'm happy to say four years later, I, I'm still here doing it and uh, still having a blast doing it.
0: That's incredible. And it's great for you to uh, to hear that from you, Matt, because I do feel the same way. In fact, I know that when we had conversations, when I decided to create a podcast, and I probably grabbed this from you, is that exact mentality, which is that even... If I only had a couple of listeners here and there, as long as I enjoy doing this, then I'm going to keep on doing this. And I realized shortly starting to do those interviews that I really loved to do this. I love to talk to people. I, lo- I love talking to people in general and hearing their stories. So yeah. for me, there was really no downside here.
1: It's true. There's not, there's not much of a downside to it if you're having fun. I think one of the advantages of or unique qualities of the way that I do podcasting is I never intended to make it a career. I really just intended to make it again, a sort of fun hobby, um, you know the only the only financial goal I attached to the podcast was to help pay for my Disney trips. You know as much as much as possible. So really just sort of fueling my obsession, but also giving me the opportunity to get more content for the show. So that was the only financial goal I ever attached to it. And anything else that comes with it is really just gravy um, above and beyond. And I I approach that with everything that I do, from Patreon membership to sponsorships. It's not hey how do I make you know a hundred thousand two hundred thousand dollars out of this every year but how do i just make enough that i can justify you know traveling to to walt disney world or to disneyland or maybe even save up enough to go to the international parks but that's that's it um so it's i think a, a, but not having that pressure on myself to put food on the table is a way that i've kept it really an enjoyable process throughout the last few years
0: so you mentioned before something about uh, that being a cast member helped you prepare to being a podcaster. Can you explain 100%. further what what that means? Like how, how did <laughs> actually being cast member help you in uh, speaking, especially?
1: Yeah, there's one particular. I think you're you're sort of leading me in one particular direction. So I the yes, one I thing yeah the one thing that really did prepare me for this was my particular role as a cast member was I for those who have been to Walt Disney World. And been to Disney's Animal Kingdom ever since opening day. It's existed. I worked at Kilimanjaro Safaris, which is the signature attraction at the park. It was, it, it or it is, it still continues to be. It's essentially a 20 minute, for those who have not experienced it, it's a 20 minute safari where the cast members responsible for the attraction do drive literal safari trucks. So I had to, part of my training was to learn how to drive a truck, which I had never done before. And I had to take a, kind of mock driver's ed course run by disney to learn how to do that because obviously i wasn't going to be driving out on the road i just needed to know how to drive it through the attraction but then the other thing i had to learn was how to present the material i was given a a script and i was given animal facts and they are there are live animals on the attraction and we're driving around and they could go and they could be in multiple different places and i had to know how to spot them i had to learn animal facts i did not go to school For anything related to animals I went to school for marketing so this was not at all I I didn't know prior to working at Kilimanjaro Safaris what an Okapi was or a Bontabak or let alone what the some fun facts about them were but I had to learn all of that and because I was working in such what's considered a high spiel role it and which means that I was literally talking all day. And, uh, and even in the first couple of weeks, I actually did get laryngitis after like about four weeks just because of how much talking is involved in the attraction, wow. working out in the heat. Um, that, uh, And I learned how to really stay hydrated because of that. Uh, that I was unaware of the fact that as this was happening, I was building public speaking skills and I was learning how to communicate. I was learning how to speak at the right pace, with the right intonation so people could understand me, with the right uh, you know, enthusiasm to deliver the content in a way that would be enjoyable and informative and, again, similar to the podcast, leave people feeling happy and, and good at the end of the experience, that I was starting to build those skills. And I actually ended up building upon them beyond Disney, because right after I got back, I ended up teaching um, SAT courses, and that also put me in a public speaking role. And so that was sort of taking what I learned from Disney and furthering that. And of course, working in a corporate capacity where I do have a lot of presentations to deliver, I also have been continuing to practice that outside the podcast as well. And I have found that the podcast has also helped me to hone my presentation skills at work, which is another great benefit of podcasting. Uh, so that was a one way that I, uh, one skill I had brought uh, from my cast member experience was that public speaking and presentation or those public speaking and presentation skills. And then that, as I mentioned earlier, that, that's, feeling of delivering uh you know or, or bringing joy to people's lives and how do you uh you know especially if someone's having a bad day which does occasionally happen at disney there are things that happen how do you turn that experience into a positive and so thinking about how to infuse that into the podcast is another one of those sort of soft skills that i have i have brought to podcasting
0: now another element that you've also brought to to your podcast is the music because yes. obviously disney is very much ingrained into music and i've noticed that you put a lot of attention into the music that gets played during the episodes usually during the beginning and especially during the end as well so can you talk a little bit more about your thought process into selecting the music uh depending upon the episode
1: yeah, and it it might not be kosher. I think a lot of us Disney podcasters and YouTube creators kind of do the same thing where we we pick up some of the Disney parks music which you can find online. I I was always back in the day trying to find Disney music online as much as I could and not just the classic songs, it's a small world and the tiki 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 room and some of the and great big beautiful tomorrow. Those are great, but you can also get those on official albums from Disney, but I, one of the things I always loved about Disney was the music in the parks. And so if I'm walking around Epcot, that was not something I could easily find on a CD or pick up in the parks. What I would want to know, how can I sort of bring that music experience into my own personal life outside the parks, let alone into a podcast? And so you'll find that a lot of us in the Disney space use some of that music to enhance our podcasts. And for the most part, I think if you ask Disney directly, they'd say, we, we're not okay with this. But as long as it's uh you know what i've found is podcasters including the biggest one that i've been listening to for 15 years who has a million downloads a month um you know he still does the same thing too um it's really more of a, a partnership with disney or sort of unspoken partnership with disney that we're here to help really we're helping them a lot because we're we're talking marketing, about disney You're marketing, we're marketing, your marketing disney for free <laughs> yeah basically um so the, the least we could do is, is occasionally use the uh, the epcot background music uh you know to to sort of deliver that experience to our podcast so uh yeah aside from because uh, I know I'm, I'm talking to it you know the music industry but uh normally that's not a not something you should be doing but this um, thing
0: too though is like it's interesting that you brought that up because one of the things that I've always appreciated and this I don't know if this is necessarily true now this was before this was pre-Disney ownership but Lucasfilm yeah. for yes. example for the longest time Lucasfilm had an open policy where if you want to create a short film or a parody or anything anything along with Star Wars they let you do that. They will not they l- literally said if you want to go ahead in fact they would actually showcase as Lucasfilm showcase fan-made short films. So I don't know how much that is really true now, how, you know, how Lucasfilm handles those kinds of situations, but I thought that was always smart because it allowed others to be creative and, you know, non-commercially, of course, but, right. you know, it allowed them to be creative in, in their franchise And that only helps support their franchise. It only helps support people wanting to go to the new films and want to buy the merchandise to see the television shows and to do all these things to get the video games. So I always felt, even as somebody in the music industry, that I'd rather make our music more available to others than try to restrict them of course we're looking at the bottom line for our artists and getting them paid (laughs) but at the same token too if it's if it's a true fan and they just want to use the music in their podcast or in you know their youtube videos or anything like that i guarantee you I, i can talk to every single one of my artists and they would say the same thing they're like absolutely if they're a fan go ahead and use it because we'd rather them use it and and have them help promote the artist than trying to throw a wall up on them
1: yeah, context is definitely key. And I think Disney has picked up on that over time as well. And there, I think, have been even a couple of cases where, not specifically to music, but I remember, I think it was two years ago, that there was a production in a high school of The Lion King on Broadway, which normally you're really not supposed to do. I
0: remember this,
1: yeah. And they were, and they, uh, they got a, a cease and desist letter from Disney, and that went public because not only was it, first of all, high school students... But, but and I know it's directed to the school not to the students but first of all it's high school students and second of all they were raising money for charity so literally there comes a cease and desist letter from Disney saying you're doing your production of the Lion King you're not supposed to do that without paying us a big licensing fee and now you know and this went viral the fact that they they were doing this for charity and here's Disney storming down on them and saying no you can't do that and then Bob Iger who was the CEO at the time came out and said all right, we're going to drop this and I'm personally going to donate to this cause because even he knew that they had screwed up by doing that. Um, So context is definitely key. And you're right. In a lot of cases, it's not like us Disney podcasters or even YouTubers out there are Doing this commercially, you know, we're not putting on our own productions and building our own theme parks in our backyard and saying this is Disney and charging admission, but really just celebrating Disney and showing our fandom and appreciation and helping to build an even bigger Disney community out of it. Um, So a lot of that is with the music and it's one of the things that I do get complimented on is people will say that for some re- you know that the music selection was just perfect for the episode which is intentional because as a fan I already have a sense from going to the parks if I am going to be talking about Tower of Terror that there's a particular mood that comes with that and I already know what the music from the disney parks is that applies to that mood and it could be the music that's played outside of tower of terror or it could be from another section of the park or somewhere else that that really enhances the discussion so that's really where that comes into play and it's mostly you'll if you listen to the podcast you'll hear it's like the intro um sort of like a little bit of a clip of it and the the ends uh sort of accompanying the uh the close of the episode and then anything in the middle it's mostly just discussion um sort of short of ever have, of having any music in the background so um, yeah music is definitely a big part of my editing process and deciding which particular thing to use and that a lot of that just comes from my now decades of listening to this music and geeking out about uh you know the sounds of the parks and um you know sort of that what makes me feel like I'm back there is what I try to apply to the podcast and Pay forward to those who are listening.
0: Who would have thought all these years that that would actually pay off? right?
1: <laughs> Look, mom, it paid off.
0: Yeah, <laughs> all those road trips we took and listening to uh, to the Disney, you know, to the Disney CDs on their way down to Florida.
1: Yeah, I, I like to joke. Uh, there was actually a, a there's another Instagrammer that I follow out there who has a great way of in reels personifying Disney fans, and there's one where he's at the gym and he shows himself at the gym like lifting weights and like being a real tough guy and so it starts with what people think i'm listening to and he plays some heavy metal and then it's what i'm actually listening to and it's like the the interventions area music at epcot and he's just like you know bobbing his head along just really happy happy go lucky but this guy at the gym and that's that's basically that's sort true. of the, the the buff going to the gym um that's basically me if you see me driving by in the car and you think i'm like rocking out to to something you know that's popular out there right now um i'm really just probably listening to like the entrance loop for epcot or something
0: <laughs> not gonna lie when i was uh when i was getting prepared for in- doing this interview i was listening to the soundtrack from world of world of color which is one of my favorites so i did that's the exact i same love
1: thing. that soundtrack too it's so we, li- we we've we listened to that in the car together as well we have <laughs> on-, on road trips oh
0: yeah many times and usually it's by my request. <laughs>
1: There's never, there's never a disagreement uh, when when we're in a car together of what we're going to be listening to. <laughs>
0: yeah, no, no. We just, like, in fact, we don't, we get to the point where we don't even ask that question. Really, we just kind of look <laughs> at each other on. and we know and we know what's going to happen. So, I want to uh, talk about the fact that now that you decided that you were going to discuss Disney in your podcast at this point in time, because you would even four or five years ago, they're literally hundreds of thousands if not millions of podcasts out there and there was a ton of Disney podcasts so still is (laughs) still is in fact there's I guarantee there's even more now but because at this point in time there were already so many even though Disney is a very popular subject because there's so many other podcasts out there what when you started doing this and of course you mentioned earlier about the fact that you didn't care too much at the time about how big your audience was you just wanted to enjoy it but But what were you doing at that time to kind of grow and nurture that audience to get more attention to the podcast?
1: A couple of things. The first thing that was the most important to me was quality that had to be present. And one of the things I decided early on was I was never going to publish an episode just because I needed to. And there was a common consensus, and still is, that podcasts are at least weekly. You might have a daily podcast, which happens sometimes, or perhaps a spinoff series that's a 10-minute podcast segment, or in most cases, you have a podcast that drops every week on a Monday or a Saturday, and maybe they'll skip a week or two during the holidays, but it's a weekly show. That's typically how it's done. For me, I knew that, especially with a full-time job, I was not going to be able to commit to doing that, and so I decided I was going to do every two weeks, which I thought would be manageable and literally changes. If you think about the the volume of episodes in a year, it changes it from 52 or 50, depending on how you look at it, to 26 and that's a big difference, that's a very and big difference. a lot more, a lot more, uh, you know, po- a lot more possible to create a quality twenty-six quality episodes in a year when you're working full time than fifty or fifty-two quality episodes a year. So that was one of the things I decided very early was I was going to focus on quality. I knew I would start scrappy, and listening back to those early episodes, I still kind of cringe a little bit. But as long as I continue to improve the quality as much as possible. And as take it as a practice that I would be in a good position to do well. The other thing, you're right. I didn't think too much about competition. There's the podcaster who I do listen to. Uh, you know, is famous for saying that it's there's 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 infinite room in this community. And the Disney community in particular is a very welcoming community. So while there is some level of competition, you can listen to there's so many, so many hours in the day, you can listen to my podcast or another. You can't possibly listen to all of them that we, in the most part, support each other. And especially I think those who do well tend to support each other in this community. And we know that we're all just at the end of the day, big Disney fans, and we're trying to put something good that's out there. So, that has been when I shifted that mindset to, well, it's not like I have to be the best or I have to try to compete with other podcasters, that it became a lot easier. I had a leader in my, my day career, you know my, my full- time career that worked in a sales position. He was a VP of sales and was famous for telling us for reminding us, um, you know whenever we'd go to conferences or be in a group together marketing and sales together, that we should have our competitors in our rearview mirror. And that's a way of saying that as we're driving our car, you know, as we're when we're we're physically driving, we spend the majority of the time looking straight ahead out the windshield. And occasionally we have to glance at the rearview mirror just to see what is behind us. And that's sort of the same idea is that if you think about competitors to just drive in your own lane, focus on driving your car, focus on your customers is really the bottom line there. And Occasionally, just glance at your competitors to see what they're doing. So I use other Disney podcasters for inspiration. I don't think of them as competitors. And really, I've also reached out to a lot of what you would normally consider to be competitors for us to do episodes together. And they've returned the favor and they've done the same with me. And it's just a way for us to support each other um, and create this really great fan base of of, uh, Disney fans um, who also love to listen to podcasts. So that was a big key was not worrying about competition and focusing on quality and the other thing I did and I still continue to do today is I this part of this is probably coming from my marketing experience but I knew that it's easier to retain a customer than to gain a customer so I've always focused on what I call my core 10 the at the time it was literally the 10 people who listen to my podcasts the most enthusiastically Um, and I knew that because of social media and because i created a facebook group and i'd gotten to know these individuals and today they're like my friends actually and i consider them to be my friends because we've grown a disney friendship out of it which is one of the goals i set from the beginning so these court and they still continue to listen to the show and support the show so those core 10 i knew from the beginning that hey these are the people that found the podcast early and they were my early adopters and these are the people who not just decided to listen and didn't like it, but they did like it. And so what do they like about it? And I would actually ask them, hey, what are the episode topics you would like to hear? What should I be doing differently? And I would get that direct feedback. In the marketing world, that would be market research. So I just did my market research, um, got my feedback from my listeners, and I still continue to do that. And even on a grand scale, as the podcast has grown... I'll post occasionally an Instagram sticker and ask what are episodes you'd like to hear on the show or post it on Facebook, or I'll directly ask people on the podcast to email me. And I do have a list and I do truly write down those ideas and try to also remember who gave me that idea or write down who gave me that idea so that when I do get to it, I sort of throw a little shout out to them, even if just through a direct message behind the scenes to say like, hey, that episode you recommended you know two years ago, I finally got around to it. Can't wait for you to hear it. Um, and that's just a way of, of building customer relationships. So I've attempted to very slowly but surely and very organically build meaningful relationships with my listeners and deliver to them what they want to hear, as long as it fits within what I'm looking to deliver through the podcast, of course. And also social media has been a, a big way for me to to grow the show. Um, and specifically within social media, you know, I started from humble beginnings, literally no followers, and I, I haven't invested anything into growing my following. I've never paid for followers. I've never, um, you know, done a, an ad campaign to grow followers. I might have tested it once just to, like through 50 bucks at it or something just to see what might happen. But in the grand scheme of things, I've, I've virtually done no advertising to gain any followers. But it's the same principle that I apply to my social media channels, which is, I, you'll barely even see me on my feed talk about the podcast, um, which is probably a, uh, a downside. But on the flip side of it, I've completely focused on building a community of positive Disney fans through the content by sharing what I feel passionate about with an eye for optimism and positivity, sharing some knowledge, which is the same thing I do with the podcast, things people might not know that they'd find really interesting if they're Disney fans, and focus on the what I call the visual aesthetic the things about Disney that visually people are attracted to that I'm attracted to as well which could be a beautiful photo of Spaceship Earth it could be a video of their favorite moment from an attraction and because I don't live close to Disney and I don't have high-tech video equipment because I'm a podcaster I've built partnerships with vloggers who are big in the Disney space who I've reached out to them and said, Hey, I love your videos. I have at the time I had like maybe 20,000 followers. And I said, this could be a great way because most of the time they're great at YouTube, not great at Instagram. Like, Hey, I'll tag you. Like if, if you give me permission to use your video, I'm going to use it with an eye for, I'm going to share some knowledge and spread some optimism. I'm going to tag you in and I'm going to make sure people know where to go and build your community on Instagram that way. So it's a bit of a bartering system. Um, And I knew that video content of Disney is one of the things that I was always attracted to and I enjoy and what other people enjoy as well. And that difference is that I can not just share it, but say something that emotionally resonates with core Disney fans or that shares some fun information that people don't know about and into my stories and occasionally through an Instagram live or maybe once in a while for a big episode if I interview a huge Imagineer that everybody loves I'll share that in a feed and a post on my feed um, and drive awareness to the podcast. So, a lot of different things, but at the end of the day, it's really focused on building a meaningful community that is truly who I think would be the best person to listen to or the person who would be the most interested in listening to the podcast um, and delivering an experience to them that is one of quality and one that I know. They'll enjoy listening to or at least I attempt my attempt at the end of the day is to bring them some enjoyment and some fun and information all focused around Disney.
0: So when did you when did you know that you were onto something because everything that you mentioned is is you know is absolutely brilliant and especially with all the different partnerships and really and again I 100% agree with you it has to start with quality but of course quality you can have as much quality as you want but you have to make sure you get that attention and you found ways of essentially scaling the unscalable right which is you know reaching out to the core individuals that you and building relationships with them of course that can create word of mouth and continue to grow but at some point when when did you know that okay I'm onto something more here than just doing a podcast that I love to do and there's actually like an audience for this specifically of of what i'm creating was there a specific moment in time
1: i i think there were a couple of things one of them which i didn't mention is the uh i do i i am you know i come from a business background so although i don't obsess over the analytics i do look at the analytics to give me some idea of what's working and what's not and the metric that i use the most or at least I did in the beginning, I don't so much anymore because I've sort of started to reach more of... Oh, there's there's millions of Disney fans, so I'm not even close to reaching the full market potential, but I've sort of capped out at where I think the core Disney fans are or started to reach that point that in the beginning, I was looking at percent of followers uh, who react re, who engage with this post. And it should, in my opinion, have been at... Oh, Sorry percent of followers percent of those who engage with their post who are not following you that's the metric that i was looking at and in most cases i wanted it to be over 50 percent, meaning that that would be an indication that this post went viral because more than you know 50 more than half the people that engage with this post weren't already following me so and probably did as a result and i could see how many people followed me from that post and i could sort of prioritize and see oh this is what's resonating the most with people based on sorting it in, in, in Instagram's algor- uh, Instagram's analytics. so that was that was um, that was one thing that I knew I was really onto something or one way that I sort of helped to determine how to grow. Um, the, I think the part that I realized I was onto something occurred two years ago and I was doing an Instagram live and I normally don't really care about celebrity status too much. It, to me, a celebrity is another person who just happens to be known by more people, um, but they themselves are people. So it's, I've always sort of viewed celebrities that way. Um, I don't want to say specifically who it was, but I was doing an Instagram Live, and I will say that I had a celebrity randomly pop in with a question because I did a lot of Q&As. I had no idea that this person was following me. Um, I went back later and saw that this person was following me. This person has... So, I'm not giving you pronouns, I'm not giving you names. Uh, this person, I will say, has over 4 million followers and is a very well known celebrity. Um, but I saw that blue check mark pop up and I knew that that was actually that person. And I engaged back and we had a great conversation. And people freaked out on Instagram Live or were watching. And then I messaged that person after and thanked them for attending. And they said, like, they always love watching and great job. And that to me, I, 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 I screenshotted everything and just kept it in my personal records in my phone. Cause I was like, I gotta, just in case people question, if this ever happened, I need to make sure that, that people know. Um, so that's, that's really when it hit me is when a couple, and it's, it's, there's been a few other people um, who are, who are pretty well known who have reached out to me. Cause they themselves are Disney fans too. And they just love the content that I'm putting out there. And to me, if someone that well-known who's become this famous is and working in a real serious professional capacity is able to come back to me and say for me i'm literally one person with an iphone a macbook and a microphone i have no other equipment and that i can impress them and bring them some joy and and spread some knowledge that that to me was when i knew i was doing something right
0: that's incredible speaking of um of uh getting the right kind of attention and again, we're not going to necessarily... We, we can certainly say names because some of these people end up being your guests on the
1: podcast. <laughs> but Yes, the ones who are guests I can. Yeah. <laughs> and I will. So,
0: so because of that reason, um, I know that that was essentially then your next step then because you were now gaining certain attention. And I will say this, the a different type of attention. I don't want to say the right kind of attention. I'll say a different type of attention because you have the hardcore Disney fans, but then you also have people that have a certain type of credibility or influence as well. So that also, I believe, fundamentally changed about two years ago as well, where you started interviewing Magineers directly.
1: Yes, it started out small, and I knew that I had to build my way up with my guest list. And so I started by interviewing some cast members who did some impressive things, and eventually by building relationships in the podcast community, which is another great reason to support those in your industry... I ended up building friendships with other podcasters and they would say, hey, you know, I just interviewed this Imagineer. They would be a great fit. You're the Imagineer podcast. So you should interview this Imagineer. And they, you know, ask to pass along their contact info. And most of the time, most Imagineers are just like Disney fans, really open to talking about these subjects. And so I started out also kind of small, but, you know, with some pretty well-known Imagineers, those that will pop up in a Disney book here or there and eventually that grew beyond that and as i was building my guest list which you know i think is is a way to sort of indicate that not only are you holding a great podcast or hosting a great podcast but you've also earned the trust of these people who have decided to or have agreed to be on your show that i've used that guest list to sort of um piggyback off of it or build upon it so i i well, you know, I started putting together a press kit, and at this point, I started reaching out to my sort of dream list of people. And most of the time, especially in today's day and age, they have a website, and in many cases, many cases they'll have a manager or at least an email address or something. And so I'll just I'll email them, and I'll be very candid and upfront. I'll say who I am, and here's my press kit, and here's what I'm looking to do. I'd love this much time with this person, and here are the things I want to cover. I make sure they know that I'm not a hardcore interviewer, that my goal is to make them sound really good and to help them to sell whatever they're trying to sell, if they have a book or whatever. like My goal is not I'm going to throw some tough questions at you and question your decisions, but help to celebrate your career and continue to build upon your existing priorities, whatever they might be, as long as they're somewhat family-friendly and attached to the industry. Um, So then I started getting folks, like the first one that was really, to me a as a disney fan a big moment was getting to interview brett iwen who is the voice of mickey mouse he has that was has an amazing been,
0: episode that was a fantastic I, episode
1: i as i was shaking like a leaf before i did that cuz i kept saying to myself i am about to talk to an interview mickey mouse that is a big deal <laughs> that's for yeah, a you're, Disney you're, fan. You're
0: that, that, that's setting the bar pretty high there
1: yeah and he was so so kind so humble and it was such a great interview and at the end of the day, again, I want to have fun. So I make these really casual and enjoyable Disney discussions as much for me as for or as much for my host as it is as my guest as it is for me. And from the you can go back and listen to this. I did not expect him. I, and I already knew that the worst thing you could do as a, a host of a podcast of a voice actor is ask them to do the voices. So I was not at any point going to ever ask him to do the voice of Mickey. And I also thought maybe Disney wouldn't want him to do that. So, um, especially out of context and, and out of their own control. So anyway, he started the podcast. I welcomed him to the show and he went right into the Mickey Mouse voice, um, by saying it was great to be here. And, you know, that to me was, was an amazing moment as a Disney fan, uh, and then I got some other guests as well. Um, the next one that I got was Bob Gurr, who most people won't know, but is a one of the original Imagineers who worked with Walt Disney. And from pretty much the very beginning, um, not the first year or two, but pretty much right from the beginning. And there's a famous quote from Bob that I'm going to paraphrase, which is, if it moves on wheels at Disneyland, I probably designed it because he <laughs> built just yeah. about every vehicle you can think of at Disneyland up until the 1980s. And that also includes some of the vehicles at Walt Disney World and at Epcot. He designed the Omnimover system that's famous at attractions like Spaceship Earth and the Haunted Mansion. He built the uh, monorail system that's in use. He built a lot of the vehicles just about anything again about just about anything that moves on wheels that's from classic disneyland that uh so that was that was an incredible interview um and then i started getting some other folks as well bigger names in the industry uh leslie iwerks was a pretty good one she runs iwerks and co and her father and her her father and her grandfather were huge pieces of disney history in fact her grandfather was walt's business partner before his brother roy And her grandfather also was the original animator of Mickey Mouse. So big family, you know, sort of Disney royalty, we call them um, in in Disney history. And she herself has accomplished a lot and she's produced a ton of documentaries. Um, So she was a great person to talk to. And I've I've had the chance to interview some pretty uh, incredible people who have done a lot of amazing things that... Frankly, I don't care so much about their status. I care more about what they've accomplished and as a Disney fan, I'm humbled by the opportunity to get to talk to them and ask them these questions. Um if it wasn't if the recording failed and it never got heard from the public, I still would have felt equally <laughs> as um amazed and accomplished by it just because as a Disney fan it was such a great opportunity to talk to these people.
0: That's amazing. So speaking of of Walt Disney. Um, I have a couple of questions to you. I uh, know about this particular subject.
1: Oh boy. So, so <laughs>
0: for if so you obviously know quite a bit about Walt Disney himself and and his history and what kind of person he was. Do you um what attribute of Walt do you feel like resonates the most to you?
1: He the more I speak to people who knew Walt, there is a quality about Walt that I do see myself resonating with, which is at the end of the day, he's he always did the things that he did because he built a world that he wanted. And that's one of the things that I have attempted to do. And I feel especially and we could go down a whole rabbit hole here, which would get a little jaded, but the um you know, the world that we live in today, I feel like has become so negative. And not to say that everybody's that way, but especially ex- social media kind of exacerbates this negativity. And it's pretty difficult these days to remain positive and friendly and even diplomatic and and pretty much even keeled politically and you know, at one point there was never an expectation that politics would ever enter the Disney space. Um, at least not in a Disney Disney Instagram page or a Disney podcast. But it's almost become expected for people to pick sides. And it's very difficult not to. Um, but I still continue to do that. <laughs> there are certain things I'll, ha- I'll call out um, you know, that I think go beyond politics. But um, for the most part, anything else, I'm pretty much right on the fence. And simple things too. I'm not talking about huge huge issues in the world but something as simple as a mask policy at disney you have two groups of people you have people that want that mask policy and you want you have people that despise the mask policy and want disney to lift it and if they complain to disney disney's not going to answer if they complain to me there's a good chance i'm going to answer so i get literally both sides constantly of people Complaining about decisions that Disney made that are, let's say, tightening up on safety and decisions that Disney make that are loosening up on safety. Any decision, I get flooded with messages about my opinion. And my opinion is pretty much the same is that, hey, it is what it is. I'm not going to like <laughs> debate it um, and debate Disney's decisions. Um, but it's my point is it's becoming very difficult to remain sort of positive and just like, can we focus on just. Disney, I, I, We don't need to worry so much or I'm not here to comment on the political decisions that Disney's making or the safety decisions that Disney's making or how Disney affects the greater world at scale on a political level. Um, so that those are some of the things that are very challenging. But Walt was to bring it back, always wanting to create this world for himself that he wanted that was positive and um, you know, brought joy, and the mission of the Disney Company is to create happiness. And you can see, and I, people I've spoken to have even said, like, he'll make a decision. He he would have made a decision, and he has made decisions in the past that, frankly, cost the studio an extra, <laughs> you know, like by today's standards, extra millions of dollars, or that scrapped a project because it wasn't right. Um, and it was truly because he didn't feel the quality was there, or it didn't deliver what he was hoping would be delivered or didn't create this world that he wanted um and i try to kind of operate that way not to be egocentric about it but my goal is to like i like to create surround myself with positivity and so if i can create this sort of positive bubble which again is getting more difficult to do but if i can maintain this sort of positive not you know not a bubble that is unaware of the outside world but it's a chance for people to sort of in disney escapism sense take a breath. A little bit um and just have a moment to regroup sort of a moment of therapy before getting back out into the big bad world that that's what i have been trying to accomplish um on a grander scale and uh you know just like walt i'm i'm very stubborn that's that's what i will continue to do
0: <laughs> that we could definitely agree on with walt's is, is stubbornness and i super stubborn I, I definitely look at walt disney as a role model too for many of his um, aspects. And that is another thing, too, that I tend to be a very positive and optimistic person. At the same token, I try to also make sure that when there is a challenging conversation to have, that it's a conversation. Yes. So, in fact, in prior episodes of the 8020 show, I have had open conversations with guests about uh, racial inequalities and gender inequalities. Uh, even suicide and these are very deep subjects but the conversation that I like to have with the guests is is something that is still comfortable for them to talk about and to make it so that's more of a, a construct uh, excuse me, a constructive conversation where it's not necessarily taking sides it's about understanding and yes I think that was also a big part of Walt Disney as well is is that that aspect of understanding and i think that comes across uh ironically that's part of his stubbornness is that he just goes <laughs> what he theo- feels is ethically and morally correct now, yes. mind you, if you really look into the history of, of Walt, that n- isn't always... Nec- his stubbornness has also been against him, too. So <clears> it, it kind of goes both ways. So if you go and look at this, um, especially when it comes to the uh, the animator strike, that's like one that definitely comes to mind. Where yes. he probably could have handled that a little bit differently and where his, his stubbornness um, and his sense of um, betrayal, if you will, or sense of loyalty really w- went against him. But... Overall, though, I feel that 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 aspect of his personality uh helped him pursue his his success even further than it hindered him
1: yes i I would agree his stubbornness definitely helped and I also agree that compassion is a big big um thing that not uh not a lot of people will give on social media it's very hard to find like i'll I'll sometimes just you know you know, insert Michael Jackson popcorn emoji, look at the comment section and see how crazy people are when they comment on social media. It's 100% emotional egocentric. Um, that's maybe not fair, maybe not 100%, but the, there's few instances, at least those that are showing up at the top of the list, um, that are prioritized by Instagram or Facebook's algorithm that are short of emotionally charged, um, to put it delicately. And it's incredible. Um, Whereas anything, you know, I sort of take my time when it comes to crafting responses to things. Uh, And if I do feel emotionally charged, I will step away and come back later. Um, I'll even sometimes write out what I want to say and then just leave it there for a good solid day. And then see it the next day and edit it. And then a few hours later, edit it again. And a few hours later, edit it again. Until finally it starts sounding... Um, compassionate and that's when I know it's ready to go and uh, so there's there have been cases where people have complained about things um <clears throat> you know even for instance I'll, you know, to give a specific example there's a lot of uh, uh again on both sides so I, I hear both sides constantly uh this the decision to change splash mountain because splash mountain is a classic attraction that's been at Disney since 1989. And people love that attraction. It has been now two generations of fans that have adored Splash Mountain and have never seen a reason to change it. Um, And while it's not drawing direct inspiration from the more racially insensitive parts of Song of the South, um, it is a decision that has people upset um, or people excited. People saying it needs to happen sooner or it should have happened sooner and other people saying it, it should not happen. Um, you know, cancel culture should not affect Splash Mountain. But at the end of the day, the objective optimists will put on their objective optimist hat, which is what I do, and say, let's actually, for a moment, just yes, it's it, although it's not, it's calling back to a film that was racially insensitive um, or culturally insensitive, but not directly calling it out in the attraction. Let's forget that for a second. How many kids know who Br'er Rabbit is before riding Splash Mountain? How many kids know who Tiana is before riding Splash Mountain? Relevance in itself, it's a very solid decision, a very smart business decision. Beyond that, I like to give people the reverse mentality of saying, let's imagine for a second in a weird world that it was originally a Princess and the Frog attraction. And now in 2020, Disney comes out and says we're going to retheme the Splash Mountain, Princess and the Frog attraction to a mildly based version of "Song of the South," that famous movie from the 1940s. <laughs> people would lose their minds. It's true. Say, it's like, very what are true. you thinking? <laughs> um, so I like to sometimes reframe it in reverse because it helps people realize that the decision is a really smart one, and makes complete sense. And. People think of Disney as a museum and they don't want it to change. But even Walt himself constantly was changing the parks from the very beginning. He refurbished Tomorrowland two and a half years after it, Disneyland opened and said, nope, this is not good anymore. We need to fix this uh, and totally changed it. And so there are plenty of examples throughout Disney history of things changing with the times and updating. And it's just another, another example of that. Um but people get attached to Disney and they're nostalgists and I get that. But I get, uh, I
0: get it too. I mean, be, you know, both of us being in a Disney parks for so long, it, it becomes part of our childhood, right? Yes. So sometimes we do get very um, emotional and sad when uh when attractions become extinct. Even when it has nothing to do with uh, a cultural decision, there's just right. a lot of times where it's just the ride has just aged or has mechanical issues or whatever the case is, or they just decide that it's not getting the audience they used to anymore, except for the hardcore fans. And they're like, okay, it's time for us to move on. But even Walt... And that's the thing, is, is interesting. As I've gotten older, I truly appreciate more the fact that of how often Disney does adapt and change the parks. Because Walt himself even said that Disneyland will never be completed. That's right. And I think that's the whole point. And it's so funny when people will you know like you said that want disney to be a museum that is literally the opposite of what walt disney wanted and walt disney and walt was absolutely genius when it comes to that because if you don't adapt if disney was exactly the same as it was when originally opened and maybe some (laughs) refurbishments here and there nobody would go nobody would go (laughs) that would be it that would be the end of the parks yeah. It's because of yeah. the fact that they keep on innovating, that they keep on changing things. And they keep, and they only have so much, you know, well, in Orlando it's a little bit different story, but like for the most part like they still only have so much space re- relatively speaking even within the parks to do things within it that they have to, you know, some things have to, you know, have to, you know, have to, you know, have to be expired. Like they have to move on and they have to, you know, whatever the original concept was, you know, I would always hope that the the core of that concept will still continue and to live on. Cause I think that's also important too, to have legacy and, but it's also important too, to be relevant to the current society and what, you know, what are the things that we like to be entertained with? What are the things that we are emotionally connected to? Perfect examples, like you said, with Splash Mountain is that how many kids know who Brad Rabbit is before riding Splash Mountain?
1: Probably none of them are very, very, very few. Only if their parents have told them who Brad Rabbit is. Um, Right, but yeah, it's there's nobody. <laughs> there's nobody. no kid these days,
0: so it just makes perfect sense. And also, it's a celebration about culture. I don't think it's necessarily hindering it. It's just a, it's a it's a celebration, it's a celebration of that particular culture that they're now incorporating into Splash Mountain in a different way. And I feel that's why I thought Princess the Frog was the perfect choice. It's
1: perfect. It's absolutely, absolutely perfect. Olympics. And people will ask me how does this fit in the theming, and like I I honestly have a response to every uh logical question about obviously there are people who are just going to throw a fit and that's not someone i'm going to engage with but if you have legitimate questions about is this is this a good fit is this a good decision i have legitimate logical uh, answers to all of those but in all cases to go back to compassion i always have that compassionate hat on of look like i'm like you you know that I've been going to Disney every year of my life, sometimes multiple years, multiple times a year. Um, I lived in Orlando for a while. Like I've ridden Splash Mountain so many times. I have so many fond memories attached to it and despite that I am so excited for this change and here are the reasons why and here are the reasons why while you might not know that now or not have the vision that I have or that I the things that I see trust Disney, give it time and Ride it when it opens. And I guarantee, even if you're still resistant the first time, that two or three or four times later, you're going to say, you know what, this was a good decision. And five years later, you're not even going to remember what Splash Mountain used to be like.
0: I'll say... uh this um and this is kind of a deep dive so this is more specifically for for disney fans out there so if you are a true fan you'll get this joke but uh for every uh imagination that's out there that they do there's always going to be like the five others that worked out extremely well so <laughs> i find that they most of the time that disney is usually right on the mark like sometimes they're not but you know yeah. again you know that shouldn't be an expectation either. They will make mistakes. They, you know, they do. They, they, they're humans like all of us. So they will make mistakes. They not, we not always make it right. They may take an attraction and end up making it worse than the original version. But many times they are able to improve upon the original version and make it even better. Or they, they have a brand new idea that replaced it. That honestly, go, I decide that you know what this is actually better. Like this is a overall better attraction than what was originally here. So, you know, because of the fact that I know that I'm also looking through rose colored glasses about what was in the past. Right. And that's the other thing too, is you have to think about itself. Like if I did this today, would this have the same meaning to me as it did when I was five, six, seven, eight years old.
1: It's true. You always have to think about that time that has passed. If you are thinking about adaptability and the fact that Disney is going to constantly adapt and update, which honestly, to your point, even if they do make a mistake, to have that eye for adaptability and growth and change is to know when they did make a mistake that they're not going to revert back, probably in most cases, but they'll continue to think about the things that led them to make the change and improve upon the execution. Um, when it makes financial sense to do so hopefully they didn't invest too much in a negative change but in the most cases i find that the big changes they make are very very positive (laughs) the ones that they invest time and a significant budget to usually end up being a fantastic tremendous improvement
0: that's what we were talking about before about keeping keeping the core what the core feelings of it were uh, case in point again, going back real quick, um, uh, because I know some some people listening aren't necessarily hardcore Disney fans, and so we don't <laughs> necessarily lose them. But one thing <laughs> I will mention because it is related to music is um, back to the Imagination attraction, which is in Epcot. So if any of you have uh, been on that attraction before, you'll know where I'm referring to. But they did a, a huge change to that attraction based on the original version, which is one of my favorites, was the original to mer- version that was completely different there was almost nothing to the attraction that was same from the original one and everyone was up in arms about it including myself like I was because it was it was worse it was a you can tell that they did not put the time and effort into this attraction they just wanted to update it and they just basically gutted the entire thing and came up with a whole new theme that had nothing to do with the original whatsoever and they realized their mistake And they couldn't go backwards. They couldn't revert back at this point. But they did uh, reintroduce back into it in a major role the original uh, mascot, if you will, for the original attraction, Figment. And they also brought back the song, which was an amazing, catchy little song called One Little Spark. And I think that is it as good as the original? It's hard to say now because, again, looking at it through rose-colored glasses, you know, do you know what you know which one would essentially be the better version if you will and you can argue all day long about that but the very least that they knew that they where their mistakes were and instead of completely reverting back they took what they had and then brought back some of the core elements they knew worked from the original to make something better out of it
1: absolutely that's a great example that's one i was thinking of too
0: yep exactly um I know it's like it was like we're family related or something like that right <laughs> but something just, was, just, must, just letting must know everybody know we're, we're cousins so like we, <laughs> you know, we know each other for a very long time um anyway so uh last question i have for you is if walt was alive today what platform do you think he would be obsessed with
1: Ooh, that's a really good question i would probably think youtube um because of the ability to reach a lot of people in a visual context i think that would have been impressive to him that it's basically taking television and taking it a step further with on demand you know the ability to do things on demand or watch things on demand um he would probably have seen a lot of potential in showcasing visually things that he was working on so that would probably be the platform that he would be most into and I'm sure he would be reading the comments and probably having some opinions on uh, the trolls he would probably not be used to the level of trolling that exists on YouTube today no he would be super <laughs> frustrated and stubborn
0: he would call out people
1: on that <laughs> oh yeah honestly they might. he might create videos that disable comments because for him it's not about the he didn't need the vanity of positive comments he just needed to put out some quality product so he'd probably disable comments on every YouTube video
0: I think he may go into Twitch streaming.
1: That's an interesting choice. He might right? do that <laughs> I,
0: because, I, and and not because because I think that that Twitch, especially these days, is the next level from even YouTube. So I would say, ten years ago, totally, I would say he would be obsessed with YouTube. Now, I think if 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 you are looking at what he would be obsessed with now, I think it would be Twitch because that's a good point. The 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 way that twitch has successfully socially uh, gamified the social experience i think would be really intriguing to walt and i think he would find a way to taking that cuz this is something that he does very well is taking an existing technology um or or he sometimes even in some cases create his own but but essentially taking something that already exists and and turning it into something completely different and using it in a completely different way that nobody else thought about doing it with and taking especially in a, a brand new medium so when you're talking about film and television um, the amusement park experience any of those things that already existed he essentially created his own world based upon something that existed and I can see him doing that same thing with twitch where he would f- find a way to making that work for him and his vision in you know creating this world that he wants to create and finding like-minded individuals to experience that with him.
1: That's true. Honestly, he would probably combine Twitch with VR if he yes. could in some way, because yes. he would want to find a way to literally immerse people virtually in his world. So that would be probably a combination of two platforms. He would think creatively that way.
0: I would also think, too, at this point, he would definitely have some sort of NFT strategy because that, that business mind of him is probably going <laughs> like crazy right now on how he's going to bank on that.
1: Yes, for sure.
0: So, well, thank you so much, Matt, for being on the podcast. I really do appreciate it. I'm really glad yeah, that we actually get this me. one published after all these years. So, um, But thank you so much again, and uh, we'll definitely be chatting soon.
1: Yep. Thanks, Mike.
0: Thank you so much for listening to The 8020 Show. If you haven't already please subscribe or follow. If you enjoyed the episode or this podcast overall, please leave us a review or comment on our socials, which you can find us at 8020RECORDS on pretty much all platforms. You can also check us out on our website at www.8020records.com. And as always, be happy, be healthy, and be productive.